remain standing, if you would, please, as you open your Bibles to the book of Esther. And as you're opening to the book of Esther, let me give to you just a little bit of a reminder as we get into this book. We started looking at it in a kind of a broad brush approach last week, looking at the providence of God and what that is, what that is not. Many times we have a misunderstanding of doctrine because of our misunderstanding of providence. But we, we look sometimes at the book of Esther and looking only at what we know from veggie tales and things of that nature. And, and uh, Hollywood has uh, changed some of the information and given you sort of a, uh, a, a different view. But based on that, it would appear that Esther and Mordecai were the heroes of the story. And if we're not careful, when we read of David and Goliath, we quickly put David as the hero of the story. When we read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we quickly quickly put those three young men as the heroes of the story. When we read of Daniel and the lion's den, we quickly make Daniel a hero, do we not? We've got to be very cautious with this. The only hero in the word of God is God himself. Now, God uses men and women to accomplish his goal, and and I'm not dismissing that. And praise God for men and women who are willing to be used by God in this way. And so as we get into this, I hope not to sound too much like a killjoy and And I hope that there's not some young lady who has her dreams dashed because of uh, my comments. But I want to say something today as a messenger of hope. Esther was not perfect. Now, I make that statement because I know each and every one of us sometimes view these people in the Word of God we say, I could never be like that. But I want it to be known. Esther, she had body odor too. And she was used greatly by God. As can you. Look with me if you would at Esther. And we're just going to pull out a a portion for this morning. Let's look at uh, chapter number two. We'll read the first four verses before we get into this morning's message. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, let there be a fair young, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of the women, unto the custody of Hege, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their things be uh, for purification be given them. And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Father, bless now the reading of your word to our hearts and our life to its application. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Again, my hope is not to dash the childhood dreams of anyone this, uh, through this study, um, but to encourage. I want you to look at me, if you would, at the circumstances surrounding the book of Esther. Now, the decree from Cyrus uh, for Zerubbabel to lead the Jews back home was around 538 B.C., now, and yet we find ourselves here in 483 B.C., uh, nigh on uh, 50, 50, ballpark of 50 to 60 years in that ballpark area later, uh, we find ourselves here uh, in the book of Esther. Um, Mordecai is still holding a job in Susa. If you look with me there, verse number 5 of chapter 2, it says, Now in Shushan, also referred to as Susa, uh, in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew uh, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, uh, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So it came to pass, when the king's command and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered un, uh, together unto Shushan the palace, uh, to the custody of Haggai, uh, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, uh, keeper of the women. We find this uh, one Mordecai still holding his job, still holding his home there in Susa. Why he had stayed, we are not aware. We're not given the details of his choice or uh, his uh, financial circumstances. Maybe one could argue that uh, he stayed there because uh, he had a job and it's hard to just uproot or maybe he had uh, family there. But understand something, regardless uh, perhaps he did not want. Uh, he did not leave. Maybe it wasn't because of a, a, a health issue that he could not make the journey. Perhaps he just did not want to leave the comfort and the uh, ease of what was taking place where he was. It's difficult for change. I understand that. I'm not one that fights change. Really, I, I could. I don't get attached to things. I don't get attached. The only thing I really get attached to is is, is people. I guess. But I don't get attached to things. And I can remember a friend of mine when I was uh, growing up, her family had a station wagon. You remember station wagons. I like a station wagon. Some of you all are like, oh, thank God there's no such thing as station wagons anymore. I'm one of those few. I have fond memories of station wagons. Now today, you can't even put a chihuahua in the car without putting a four-point harness on it. But we were able to get in a, a, a station wagon. We'd sit in that back bench seat, and then we, your dad would take off. And we'd, I don't want to sit next to my brother or sister anymore. I'm getting in the back of the station wagon. And, of course, as you're climbing over the, ste over the seat, what did your dad do? smack that brake just to send you around for a little bit because it was fun. We didn't die. And we'd laugh. Ah, do it again, Dad. But of course, today you do that with a chihuahua in the car and you got PETA and everybody else breathing down your neck. But she was so, I remember I was probably just uh, 10 or 11 and, uh, and, and I remember she was in tears in Sunday school all day long and I'd look over and I'd say, what's wrong? Dad sold the car. They had a station wagon, 
and she had gotten so attached because it was the only car that they had ever owned. And while she was growing up, it's the only thing, and she was heartbroken that change had occurred. And I'm just sitting there going, my dad's changed cars 85 times this month. And you're worried about a station wagon. You know, change is difficult, I understand. And for some people, it is downright scary. But realize something. God had given to his people, the people of Israel, a birthright. He had given them land. He had given them a home. And he said, this is your home. Don't leave your home. They were taken captive. and They were carried away into Babylon. Later on, you have the Babylonian Empire conquered by the Medo-Persians. And the Persian Empire was now established. And, and you have Cyrus decreeing that they are, they are now free to go back home. They can rebuild. And they said uh, they had Zerubbabel who was ready to lead the charge to go back, rebuild the temple. And they were going to get everything started. But a lot of the people said, no, I'm comfortable right The land that God had given them, they didn't want to return. And you read and you hear of all the laments of the different, uh, uh, different people and how, oh, to be back in our home, to be back in our land, to be back amongst God's, uh, God's gift unto us. And, and they didn't want to return home. Now, we can surmise all we want, but what we do know from history is that there was nothing keeping them by force from returning any longer. So here we have Mordecai. He chose to stay where he wasn't supposed to stay. It was never God's intention and will for them to be under captivity. He allowed it to take place because of the hardness of their hearts. Regardless, he should have, if possible, left Susa and returned to help rebuild. Now, before someone says, but pastor, wait a minute. If Mordecai had gone home, he wouldn't have been there with his cousin Hadassah, who then became known as Esther, and she would not have been around to free her people. If they had all returned home, they wouldn't have needed saving. They find themselves in the wrong place. And there are many times where you and I in our life find ourselves in the wrong place. We've got to get honest with ourselves and, and realize that when I find myself in a place that is uncomfortable, it's unwanted, it's un, it's, it's, this, is not, this is not the way things are supposed to be, and, and, and my kids are a mess, and my, my marriage is a mess, and, and this is going on in my life, that's going on in my life. Why is everything such a wreck? We need to wake up and say, maybe, just maybe, I made some decisions that led to this. Here we have Mordecai, and we can go into whether or not Esther uh, willingly uh, joined this beauty pageant. We can, we can discuss that. But hey, if Mordecai had simply gone back home where he should have been, taken his young, young uh, uh, cousin with him, who he pulled in as his own daughter, took her back where they belong, he would never have had to worry. 
there's peace in obedience. Now, we, we, we look at these kind of stories, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe, maybe God wanted him. Hold on. I don't think God wants us to be disobedient. But God can still use us when we're disobedient. God can still use us. This is we, we get in our minds, well, well, okay, so if he was if he was out of the will of God and he was not supposed to be there to begin with, well then God would have probably just wiped his hands of him. No, that is not true. Do we think that David was in the will of God when he was on that rooftop? Was David in the will of God when he was looking out and he knew what was going to be taking place? And here he is on that rooftop going, oh, yeah. I'm taking her. Do we think David was in the will of God when he called her to his chamber? Do we think David was in the will of God when he called uh, her husband, Uriah, the Hittite, back and said, go, go be with your wife? Uriah had enough moral compass to say, no, I'm not supposed to be there. I'm not supposed to be doing this. This is the wrong place. He said, no, I don't think it was God's plan for David to then send him to the front line to be killed. Did God allow it? Mm -hmm. Was it his purpose? Was it his plan? No. Now we're back again here with Esther and Mordecai. Was it God's purpose and plan for Mordecai to not go home? I don't believe so. But God knew that he was going to make that decision. And so God said, I can use that. Even our failures, God can use. You see, when the whole world around us is in complete turmoil, those of us who know God should be at perfect peace. Those of us who truly know him should be able to say, I am at peace. Looking at Esther, let's look at some more of this issue before we go any further. Some have placed Esther in this contest test willingly. Others have placed her there as an unwilling victim. There's no evidence of this uh, to, to indicate one way or the other. The historical evidence reveals that there would have uh, not actually been shame, but a feeling of honor for her to have been chosen. Either way, God had told them not to marry or give their daughters in marry to those who were not Jewish. Focus on this for just a moment. Esther went into a that-day version of the bachelor, to marry a man that God said, do not give your daughters in marriage. I don't know about you, but there's a part of me that wonders, when this came out, why didn't Mordecai pack his bags and get to Jerusalem? 
maybe he didn't have time. We'll be kind. And I understand that I'm speaking from silence on a lot of this. I understand that. But if everything in the word of God from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is for our benefit, we need to find out how we can benefit from this. Here we have a family that is not where they're supposed to be. Not the way they ought to be. And you can go so far as to even say perhaps completely out of the will of God. They have chosen to live in a place that they were not supposed to go to to begin with. Now here we have Esther in a beauty pageant in the hopes of marrying a man that is a pagan in the highest degree. If you were to look at Deuteronomy chapter number 7 or you were to go to Ezra chapter 9, you'd find more uh, uh, responses as far as this is concerned uh, where they should not have been put into uh, put into marriages such as this. If this was voluntary, it was wrong. If it was forced, it would have still been a difficult thing. So however we want to look at that, we need to get the idea that regardless of the outcome, still the wrong place. I think sometimes if we're not careful, we allow the means to become the end or for the end to become the means. And we say things like, well, well, I, I, you know, the, the, the ends justify the means. No, they don't. No, they don't. And so we can say things, well, if it wasn't for me uh, getting drunk and partying like, a, like it was 1982 or whatever, if it wasn't for that happening... I would have never met my wife, and my wife is the one that helps me be more like Christ. So it's a good thing. No, stop. Let's not, let's not go down that road. But, hey, you got to understand, God was in that drunkenness. What? Let's not make God the tempter of sin. I was wrong. I was sinful. I was in the wrong place. But I have the right God. And that's what we find with Esther and Mordecai here. Whether they were doing this because they chose to be out of the will of God or circumstances around them brought them to that place, we don't know. What we can say without a question is that this situation is bad. It's not the right thing to be going through. Additionally, Esther, she hid. If you look at verse 10 of chapter number 2, look at chapter 2, verse 10. Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. For some reason, we're again speaking from silence. Mordecai tells Esther, don't tell them you're a Jew. Now, we could say that 
that was because uh, of her safety. And if she had gone in as a Jew, maybe she would have been mistreated. Maybe she would have been uh, 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 picked on or bullied. Or, or maybe it was for any other reason. Who knows? Maybe if they found out she was a Jew, she would not become the queen. So one, for one reason or another, they said, don't let them know you're a Jew. Hide who you are. You know, I've made statements before many, many times how you and I are made in the image and likeness of God. For me to hide who I am in Christ is for me to shield the image of God. And here we have a young lady who is getting into, being put into the limelight, being put into the, uh, the spotlight of what's going on. What a wonderful opportunity to reveal the image and likeness of God. But she decided to conceal it. Now we can look and we can see, well, she was submissive. She was obedient. Maybe it was for fear. Who knows? Most likely it was fear of prejudice. However, she finds herself competing for the hand of an idolatrous Gentile, not only an idea, not an ideal situation, but let us never forget just how powerful God is. Let's never forget that. Let's look at a couple things here real quick at these man-made messes. When the world and life seems in complete turmoil, we should still be at peace. What do we have going on today? We have people upset about COVID-19. Are we at peace? We have people upset about an election. Are we at peace? At every turn, we have people trying to pass legislation that is immoral we can still be at peace. Let's kind of compare yesterday and today. Let's look at then at what's going on in this passage, and let's look at today. Go back to chapter number one, and let's do a little bit of comparison. Let's see what's going on. Look at chapter number one, verse number four. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and four score days, 180 days, that is. Realize there was a 180-day party just for the purpose of bragging about how great his kingdom was. Then they followed that 180-day party up with a seven-day feast. Look at verse 5 there. He says, And when these days were expired, and the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto the great and small seven days in the court of the garden of the, uh, of the king's palace. Here we have the most elaborate feast for seven days after a 180-day party. Who's footing the bill? It's not the king's pocket. Taxes, my friend. Taxes. We got, we, we people, oh, I just, I, I can't wait until I get my hand out. You know where that's coming from, don't you? <laughs> Ain't nothing free. Nothing for free. We have this 180-day party just for him to brag. But then the second thing that comes into play is all the restrictions have been removed for social behavior. Uh, notice what it says there in verses 7 and 8. 
And they gave them drink in vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. And the drinking was according to the law. None did compel, for so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Now, many times we see this, and we see it says, and the drinking was according to the law. None did compel. And we say, oh, so they weren't forced to drink. That's not what is highlighted in this. No one was forced to drink, but all the restrictions on getting drunk as you want to get were removed. And it says that they were to serve people according to their pleasure. Now, a 180-day party and a seven-day feast where you can get as drunk as you want to get and remove all restrictions to your little heart's content. We, we read it, oh, I can't believe someone would do such a thing. Let's look at what else they did. Crude objectifying of women. After seven days of drinking, the king calls for his wife to be displayed. Look at verses 10 and through 12. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, after seven days of uninhibited drinking... He commanded Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king, to bring Vashti, the queen, before the king with the royal crown to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. This, a lot of times, I've read several commentaries that kind of put it in different stories, uh, different writings of Queen Esther, that have kind of put it to where it was like, oh, the king, he was in a good mood, and he wanted to introduce his wife to his buddies. And she said no. What a horrid, un, uh, 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 disobedient wife she was. That's not what was going on. You take a guy who has absolutely zero restrictions, and for seven days straight, he is drinking him and his buddies, and then he tells one of his servants, go bring the queen out here. I want to show off her beauty and make sure she's wearing the crown. You tell me what he wanted to show off. You're like, oh. I would never do that. People would never. That's a horrible king. Actually, it's, it's kind of sounding familiar to today. Public displaying of problems. After, after all this, he banishes his wife. He, he puts his wife out, and you have these guys that uh, you read there at the, uh, at the latter part of chapter number one. And the king and his, said to his wise men, which knew the times, uh, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew the law and judgment. Verse 14, and the next unto him was Karshana, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Marys, uh, Marsena, and Memucan, the seven princes of Persia and, Med- and Media, which saw the king's face, and which sat the first in the kingdom. What shall we do unto the queen Vashti according to the law, because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains? In other words, he says, what am I allowed to do by law? 
I want to do it all. Not bad enough that he almost publicly shamed her. Now he has to publicly shame her to save face. Then, if that's not bad enough, you look at chapter 2 where we read earlier, and he starts a Miss Persia pageant to find a new wife. <laughs> this, guy's, this guy's a piece of work. This kingdom is a mess, is it not? And he's like, I couldn't imagine living in a place like that. Let's look at today. Life is one big party. Look at that. Life is like one big party. Go ahead and bring the next couple up there, will you, Jason? I skipped ahead for you. I'm sorry. There you go. That's perfect. Life being one big party, just look around you. Look at all that is taking place. You look at the TV and you look at the sports arena and you look at all these different things and it's all about, I gotta be, I gotta make that million dollars. I gotta get to this place. And I got, and we, we have the, the party lifestyle and a lot of people can't wait to live the party lifestyle and the ones who aren't living the party lifestyle are helping fund the party lifestyle. Every time I buy something of theirs or get something of theirs, and I want to be more like them. I can remember when I was growing up, and some of you all may remember this. When I was young, I was always a nonconformist at heart. And so I, but when, when, it, when it was all the, the rage to have Air Jordans, I think they're starting to make a comeback now. You know, everything kind of goes in cycles. Give it 20 years, it'll come back, you know. That's why, I, just don't ever throw clothes away. Just put them in a box, 20 years later, it'll be back in style, right? And so it was all about the Air Jordans. And when you walked into a room, and the first thing that would happen, you walk into a room, people would look at your shoes. And if you didn't have that year's Air Jordan on, you just were not. When you got last year's Air Jordans on, doesn't matter, man. You've got to have this year's Air Jordans. You are not cool unless you have this year's Air Jordans. I wonder how much money Michael Jordan made by getting people to wear his shoes. I mean, for crying out loud, I had friends that had every year of Air Jordans. You know how many Air Jordans I've had in my lifetime? People were like, Whoa, what shoes you got? I don't know. They're bargain bin thirty nine ninety five. I think. <laughs> well, that's not cool. Gets me from point A to point B, brother. <laughs> and guess what? I got money to buy a car. <laughs> nice shoes. But this is, this is, this is what we do. Life is one big party. Look at, look at the, uh, at the uh, people in today's day and time. It's, I want to work as little as, as possible, make as much money as I can so I can play, 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 play. More restrictions are being removed in society daily. Daily, we have moral restrictions being lifted. One state decides that it's now not, Ill, it's now not illegal to have narcotics. Really? We can kill whatever we want, whoever we want, no matter the age. Partial birth abortion is rampant. Not much different than it was back then, is it? Crude entertainment choices. Just turn the TV on for a little bit. Just turn it on. The stuff that my grandfather would have blushed over kids today watch it in their cartoons we're not far from Persia folks 
Social media gives platforms for openly shaming others. We look at, at the king and go, oh, my goodness. A king would put away his queen like that? Hey, Facebook has got many a husband and many a wife airing their dirty laundry all over it for all their friends to like and dislike, to make comments. Oh, he's that kind of guy? Oh, she's that kind of girl? And we go down all this road and we, we're no different. Matter of fact, it's probably easier today than it was for him. And we have all these different shows. I just threw up show like The Bachelor, you know. I mean, come on. It blew my mind back about seven or eight years ago, whatever it was, the amount of Christian people posting on social media their excitement to go watch pornography in the movie theater. And they're teenage girls sitting down reading this Fifty Shades of whatever. And mom and dad going, it's okay. Come on. It's time for us to wake up. We're no different than the people of Persia. Let's look at just a few more things and we'll be done. You see, for years, folks, Minority groups, women, were the targets. Can I tell you who's the target today? Your children. Your children is the target of everything illicit today. If they can get a hold of your kids, it doesn't matter what they do to you. We've got to wake up to the truth of what's going on. Your home is under attack. But guess what? There are sovereign solutions to this problem. Now, if I just left you there, okay, time to go. <laughs> See y'all later. And you can go home today depressed. I know I would. Gee whiz, man, the pastor really, he really just kind of was mean today. But let me, let me give you a couple things here. If you remember from last week, we talked about the discussion of God's providence but let's look at some examples of this inaction. <laughs> God knew. God knew that the Jews were going to be in the midst of all this. And so he equipped them. It was not God's plan. It was not God's plan for, for the Jewish people to have a king. He allowed it. It was not his plan. Many Theologians go down the road of God decided that he was going to have a favorite people, the people of Israel, and he decided that they were going to have a king. And because, and no, 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 God allowed it to happen. And let me tell you just how sovereign and how powerful my God is. He can give a free choice and free will to mankind and allow these type of things to take place that are not his will, and his will is not messed with. That's how powerful my God is. So, so what you're saying is God's still strong enough to where even though I'm, he wants me to go that way, but I'm going this way. I know you want me to go that way, but I'm going this way. Uh-huh. It's not going to ruin my plans. That's how powerful God is. But God does allow these type of things, and he equips people. Think about Mordecai, for example. Mordecai had a position in Susa. 
He could have been just dumber than a bag of rocks. But God gave him wisdom. God gave him abilities to where he was able to climb the ranks. God said, well, I know you're going to do what I don't want you to do, but you're going to need to be equipped when this day comes. And so I'm going to give you parents that are going to teach you the word of God. I'm going to put people in your life that are going to help you know the right thing to do. Even though you're not going to do it, you're going to know the right thing to do. And when the time comes, you're going to be able to think clearly. Now, you might get mad at me on this one. But he knew that Mordecai was going to be where he was. He knew that Esther was going to be where she was. And so he says, you know what? I'm just going to make this girl drop dead gorgeous. Get mad at me if you want. But young ladies, this ought to be a a wake-up call. Your beauty is not for you. It's for him. Your beauty is not for everybody else. It's for him. I can't help but think about the young lady that went to confession and told the priests, and Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It's been a little while since my last confession. He says, well, what's your sin? She said, well, I'm, I'm afraid I'm guilty of the sin of vanity. Well, why would you say that? Well, every morning I get up and I look in the mirror and I think about how beautiful I am. I'm afraid I'm guilty of the sin of vanity. He said, no, honey, that's not a sin. It's just a mistake. I'll give a couple of you a minute. You go home and you'll figure that one out. Your beauty, your mind, your strength, your talents are not for you. They're for him. Next, we find Mordecai overhearing a plot to kill the king, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. But I want you to understand before we go any further that God did not cause the king to get drunk. God did not cause Vashti to reject the king. God did not cause the king to banish his wife. But he used it. He used it. And he used it in ways that you and I will never be able to understand this side of heaven. And so before we go any further, I want you all to get this above everything else. Never allow the hopelessness of a situation or your surroundings to overshadow the power of an almighty God. I'm sure, regardless of their decisions. Let's just fast forward from all the life decisions leading up to that moment. Let's just fast forward right to there. I'm sure a young Jewish woman may be scared to death about being in a palace, getting ready to approach the most powerful lunatic on the planet. And I say lunatic. Herodotus uh, writes of Xerxes. This is the Xerxes, if you remember, the Battle of Thermopylae and Leonidas' 300 Spartans. And at the Battle of Thermopylae, 300 men held off thousands. This is the Xerxes from that battle. And 
in the histories, we have a record where he had led his people and he had uh, sent people ahead of time to build bridges to get them over the sea. When he and his 300,000 soldiers show up, the bridges are destroyed and there's nothing but just debris. He walks out into the water with a chain and he whips the sea 300 times and then has the men who built the bridges killed. This is not a sane individual, people. And she's getting ready to walk in and say, spare my people. Get the image. As hopeless as it may have seemed to her. God was bigger. And that's where our focus needs to remain. So today, look, (laughs) society may be going down the drain. But God is bigger than society. I may be watching my Facebook or YouTube or Instagram feeds and everything just looks so dismal and bleak and people are hating one another and treating one another this way and look at the mess that our country's in. Anything is welcome. Everything is good to go. All restrictions are removed. Look at this. God is still bigger. But what about if I get sick? And what about if my neighbors get sick? And what about when things go wrong? And if I, if this COVID-19 wipes out half the population, guess what, my friend? God is still bigger. Well, what if this, uh, all this stuff with the election and things don't go the way I want them to go? Look, I don't care who you voted for. God is still bigger. That's where our focus needs to be. It is so easy to take our eyes off of God and put them on the circumstances around us. Don't do that. You personally may be living in a place. It could be physically. It could just be spiritually where you know you shouldn't be. You know Your life right now is not right. You know it. There's no curiosity. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt there's something in your life that is wrong. Understand. God is bigger. Confess it. Forsake it. Let him use it. Let me ask you a question. Where is your focus today? Is your focus on the difficulties around you? Is your focus on COVID? Is your focus on what the governor might say? Your focus on politics? Maybe your focus is on personal problems. Pastor, I don't care about any of that stuff, but I got this personal issue that I just, I can't get my mind off of. Perhaps your focus is on your past failures and Because of what I've done in the past, there's no way God can use me. Pastor, you just don't understand my background. You just don't understand my past. You just don't understand. God can't. Your focus is on the wrong thing. 
Maybe your focus is on your strengths, on your beauty, inner or outer. Maybe you're in the middle of writing a book, the 10 most humble people and how you train the other nine. I don't know. But your focus is on the wrong area. Realign your focus to God. And write these down if you're taking notes. And go away with these. I will focus on God. I will not stress about the past. And I will not trust in the circumstances. Three simple things to walk home with. If God is able to use that, then he's able to use this now. Don't lose sight of him. Don't lose sight of him, the one who can, over that that is in our periphery. Father, we ask you, Lord, that you would remind us regularly who you are. Father, that we would be constantly drawing our attention back to you. And that no matter what's taking place around us, no matter what our world appears to be, no matter what seems to be hitting us from the left and from the right, no, none of that, Father, moves us because our mind is stayed on you. And because of that, we have perfect peace. We pray, Father, that you would watch over and protect as we make our way through this world. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.